You've tuned in to Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. We're joined by John Bryce of Football Scoop and Irish Illustrated and Pete Sampson from The Athletic. Most of us are here in sunny El Paso. We went to Marcus Freeman's press conference this morning with Coach Hinson, a very impressive guy, by the way, uh, from Oregon State, uh, serving as the interim head coach. Um, and, you know, we talked to Marcus Freeman about a variety of things. Uh, Pete Sampson, O'Malley and I have already chimed in on this with our instant analysis. Just some of your thoughts from today's press conference. You know, it's it's a mix of, all right, what are you going to learn about who is dialed into play in the game? Um, you know, that's part of every bowl game these days. It's not the college football playoff. Um, you know, so you got some new new blood there. But um, yeah, I, I want to see, you know, I asked about Jeremiah Love. That's, I think, the player that I'm maybe most interested to see, even though he's played a bunch this year, I want to see him be RB one and not just be running outside the tackles or two back sets. Um, I'd like to see sort of how they force feed his opportunities. Um, you know, other than that, I mean, look, I'm, I'm curious to see Steve Angeli and Charles Jagasaw as much as anybody, um, you know, Christian gray, maybe more an expanded role, but, I think the thing I'm most interested to watch is how the run game changes without Audric Estime um, and without Joe Alt and without Blake Fisher, um, but with a more maybe a more willing runner at quarterback and Steve Angeli. So I think that's what I'm most interested to see uh, uh, at kickoff. Yeah, I, I agree, Jeremiah. I love I've been kind of calling for he and Price to have expanded roles since Duke range. Um, neither one, Pete. We talked about this in instant analysis. Pete and JB. Uh, neither. No player on Notre Dame has carried the ball more than seven times in a college football game. That's I never would have guessed that coming into the year. Um, I think they all could carry the ball more than seven times, the including Payne, the three of them. I expect Notre Dame to have some success at the ground, but man, the one thing, you know, Blake Fisher had a good year blocking for the run. Joe Alt had a good year blocking everything that he ever tries to block. I Mitchell Evans was a good run blocker. Um, they got to be able to run the ball because that can make Angeli effective. I just want to, the one guy I want to see, they have lost Maris Leofau, and they have lost Thomas Harper. If Jalen Sneed doesn't play 25 snaps, he's never going to play 45 snaps because this is open for him to play a position on the football team. This is this is it. You can play Will. You can play Rover. You don't have a good enough nickel where you say we're just going to nickel him out the entire time. I need to see something out of Sneed, especially the redshirt freshman. He's kind of the, the one guy to watch. I'm going to focus on with the binoculars, I think, as long as he's on the field. And I think I think T.O. this need can be an impact player in this game. I don't think that um, Oregon State, especially that's cobbled together Oregon State lineup, um, will have seen too many people with the speed, especially uh, of J.J.B. and Snead as well. So I think that's an opportunity component in this game for the Irish. Uh, I'm with you. I wrote it in my prediction. I really want to see what Love and Price do. Um, we would kind of presume with the bulk of the backfield workload we know they're still going to use pain and, and sprinkle in Ford some but but this should be a, a great showcase opportunity for love and price and then I'm I'm really excited to watch Notre Dame's offensive line very closely in this game to see what they do together uh, because in in many respects it should be the future of the Notre Dame O-line moving forward yeah and that offensive line is very key especially as it pertains to uh Steve Angeli who will be making his first career start as everyone knows, Notre Dame's two tackles are out of this game. Joe Alt preparing to be a first-round 
draft choice in the spring and Blake Fisher also not in the lineup. Tim, you pointed out uh, in our instant analysis, I mean, if you look across that offensive line, only one guy there had won a game, won a, a starting job in, 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 uh, in the preseason. So, you know, Angeli is, uh, it, it's, it's, it's really essential that Charles Jagosaw and Tosh Baker perform well. They certainly have the size to play those two positions. Do they have the quickness to handle the edge, uh, the edge rushers of, of Oregon State, and and that is namely uh, Lolo Hay from uh, the the one defensive end number eight, and then Chatfield number ten who leads the team with nine sacks. That's my biggest concern: is can they keep him? You know, because I think if if Angeli has time to throw, Notre Dame's wide receiving core is very healthy. I think if he has time to throw, I, I realize that his previous performances this season don't compare anything to this. The mindset the emotions going into the game. But I think if he has a clean pocket, he can have some success. I, I think he'll do fine, um, provided he has protection. As Preacher said, I don't I don't want to turn this into 60 minutes on wondering if Steve Angeli can play. He has all new guys behind him, tight ends that are not the tight ends they would want to have technically, and a bunch of different offensive linemen. It's not even on Steve Angeli anymore. They have to somehow give Angeli a chance to succeed, and then I think he can. If, if he's under duress, this has nothing to do with Steve Angeli. It's not going to be his fault if they lose this game, if he's just getting murdered from Tosh Baker's right side. Look, Tosh Baker has to be better than he was two years ago. I'm not trying right. to bring that up. But he had two starts in his career, and they were both absolutely awful. So I don't expect that. But he's a, he is the biggest question mark on the line, not not five-snap well, guard Charles Jagatza. Yeah, no, I would agree. And I think we could, you know, I, I mean, I don't think they would hesitate to put Emil Wagner in if you need if it's, if it's a pass-blocking problem. I think that mm-hmm. they... They will do that, uh, but again, I you know I we mentioned this in the instant analysis. I, I I was really glad to hear the comments from Marcus Freeman about Mike Brown, the new receivers coach, who he said really hit the ground running when he came in. He started coaching right away. He wasn't going to wait, you know, to get to know them. The it, the the setting, the situation wouldn't allow for that. Chancey Stuckey's gone. Mike Brown's in. They need to they need a receivers coach to coach those guys up and get them ready for a bowl game. And it sounded like, according to Freeman, that he didn't hesitate to, you know, to jump in there and be their coach. He is their coach. He became their coach as soon as he checked in at Notre Dame. Yeah, I'm glad that you guys mentioned Sneed because I, I feel like we talked about Sneed at the bowl game last year about yeah. this is a, a, an opportunity to sort of seize some momentum. And kind of he played a bunch, but it, it certainly didn't turn into anything moving forward. And like, but you're right. If it doesn't happen for him, against Oregon state, I, I wonder what's there to happen for him. And I, you know, you coaches tell you everything you need to know about how, how much they play you in games that matter. Clemson, USC, Louisville, Duke, Ohio state, Jalen need average eight snaps a game. This is, this is kind of one of those games though. I mean, Oregon state for all their opt-outs fits more into this mold than it does central Michigan or Tennessee state or Stanford when he was playing 25, snaps a game so Steed's really got to show something he's got the ability to do it um you know it's it, it will I think how much he plays will tell us a ton about how he practiced over the last three weeks yeah. um because it's, it's much more of a practice are you ready did you show us and um you know away from the scenes than oh boy just throw out there and we'll see what you can do and this should be the moment that Sneed has banked the most reps going into this mm-hmm. game I mean 
He's had those guys opt out or who are gone in front of him. So this stands to reason that he should go into this game having banked more reps over the three-week course of bowl prep, Pete. You know, I very quickly want to say just for listeners, because I don't think we got an over-under on these questions, like Jalen Sneed's the young guy that's going to play, other than Christian Gray. Drake Bowen's the future at Notre Dame in the middle, either at Mike or Will. Drake Bowen might not play a snap today other than the meaningful snap. J.D. Bertrand is in there to play this game. That is exactly how it's going. Jack Kaiser is going to play this game, not Jaden Osbury. People keep thinking, I'm so excited to see the young linebackers. You're not going to see a single young linebacker ever. Google game is right around the corner. Yeah. Well, you know, J.D. Bertrand didn't, didn't, he's the only captain that that stayed in, in the mix and, and, uh, you know, stayed in this Sun Bowl game. They're not going to. They're not yep. going to stop him. And they love Bowen. Like I asked Kaiser yeah. about the linebacker, but Bertrand gushed about Bowen, and it was off the field, which is the most important thing because that's where JD Bertrand became a great player at the beginning was toughness and off the field and his straight line speed. He said Bowen is a sponge. He's always in there. Jack Kaiser echoed it. He's like Drake Bowen can call the defense now. He went from Kaiser is totally frank with him. It was a great interview. Actually, we're going to get a lot of Jack Kaiser great interviews coming up. I think in the next twelve months, he said. I asked about the three linebackers. He mentioned them all by name. He said, Drake Bowen, he, you had him next to you in August. You had no idea what was going to happen. He and Jaden Osbury. Now he can call a defense. He said, Jaden Osbury does not have a position to settle into yet, but that's how the linebackers go. And he even said, I don't know if he wants to find one position. Because sometimes when you find one position, you get stuck behind somebody. Mm-hmm. And that guy keeps playing. So he said, now he's talking about himself, obviously. Um, and of Jalen Sneed, he said immediately, we want to put Jalen Sneed in one-on-one situations. That sounds like pass rushing to me for this game. Right. Hey, John, I want to jump back to you uh, because Marcus Freeman mentioned to us that Mike Denbrock and Lauren Landau were in town to speak to the team briefly. You and Tom Loy, contrary to what you might see on Twitter, you and Tom Loy were the two guys that broke that story. Um, uh, Not Pete Thamel. Uh, Pete Thamel breaks a lot of stories, but he didn't break that one. I just jump in here and talk to us. Yeah, I, I know I've known Mike Denbrock for two decades. This will be his third tour of duty at Notre Dame. He truly is a Notre Dame guy. I know people hated the idea of not getting Andy Ludwig last year, and clearly Notre Dame didn't handle that well. But when it came down to it, Andy Ludwig had a choice, and he chose not to come to Notre Dame. Mike Denbrock has now chosen Notre Dame three times. Yeah, and um, look, shameless plug here, Mike Denbrock today was just named Football Scoops Offensive Coordinator of the Year as voted by his peers, so people a lot smarter than me um, made the vote for Mike Denbrock to be Football Scoop Offensive Coordinator of the Year for 2023. Um, Again, as you talk to people uh, about both of those gentlemen, uh, their smarts continue to come up, especially with Lauren Landau. I think he's written some books. People talk about his speed training. Um, he's tapped into the science. Those are elements that are important for Marcus Freeman that he really wants to dial into as he moves this program forward. And as for Denbrock, I think it's his versatility. He's run a number of different types of offenses. Um, he's not going to be adamant that just one system works. He will tailor his system to fit the personnel and to best utilize the personnel. I think that's incredibly important. The coaches I talked to Um, have the most respect for their peers who adapt their systems to their personnel rather than who try to force their personnel to adapt to their systems. And I think Mike Denbrock is a guy that adapts his system to his personnel. Um, Notre Dame rewarding him with a four-year contract, extremely lucrative. He'll be among the top five highest paid offensive coordinators 
in college football. Um, Notre Dame swooped in and affected all of this in, in great haste because Mike Denbrock had not signed his extension with LSU. And I do want to note, I think this is really important to note, even after Notre Dame came in, LSU tried to counter and LSU went to the $2 million range to try to keep Mike Denbrock. Um, Notre Dame did not get outbid and Notre Dame gave a fourth year. To your point, John, I did a what essentially was a film review just to, to, to try to get a good idea of what we could expect from Mike, Den Mike Denbrock. And there, there's some film out there where you can get like Cincinnati versus Notre Dame. These are all the Cincinnati plays and you see them one right after another. When you see them in that kind of sequence, that's when you have an understanding that Mike Denbrock is going to keep defenses on its toes by going here, there, never settling into one particular thing. Now, look, if if they're running the football against somebody consistently, I'm sure he'll stick with that and do that. But he was going up against, you know, N Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman, uh, and, and actually Notre Dame did a pretty good job of keeping the points down in, in the loss to Cincinnati. But uh, you you can see the verse you mentioned versatility that I think that's a good word uh, variety, certainly in what he has to offer, uh, you know, and, and, and the fact that, look, he did a, he did a great job at uh, at LSU when you're number one in the country in scoring and total offense. Everybody's going to take notice and 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 be excited about that coordinator coming in. We have a question on that, which I find kind of humorous in the second segment that we'll address. But uh uh, you know, I think Mike Denbrock is a better coordinator than he was when he was at Notre Dame or a better offensive mind than he was at Notre Dame. He was with Luke Fickle. He was with uh, Brian Kelly once again at LSU. And I think that he's, he's done a great job. I want to finish up segment one, uh, talking about something that Tim and I addressed in the instant analysis after the press conference today. And that was the naming of the captains for the bowl game. Michael Vinson, DJ Brown, and Javante Jean-Baptiste joined J.D. Bertrand as the four captains for this game. And it was really kind of heartening to hear those guys, especially a guy like Michael Vinson. Michael Vinson, um, I heard a story that when they voted for captains, they had, the players had, okay, here are the offensive players, check a box. Here are the defensive players, check a box. There were no special teams players list on that. So that, uh, that would have been a hell of a, a write-in candidacy that Michael Vinson would have needed in order to be named a captain. But Good for him. We know how de devoted he is to his beloved Notre Dame, and he will be serving as one of the four captains along with J.D. Bertrand, of course, uh, for the, the Sun Bowl. I just thought it was cool, and I'll go briefly here, that he Freeman said he asked J.D. Bertrand first, and then he moved on to the coaches and everybody else because you do owe J.D. Bertrand that question as the, as the captain that stayed in that situation. So I think that's nice to hear, and D.J. Brown and Michael Vinson must have been. So excited to be named captains as six-year players for a situation like that. I I can't think of a player who's I guess maybe Q rating rocketed up as much as JJB did uh, over the course of the second like a half of one season. I mean, he was pretty good at the beginning of the year, but like when training camp started, it was like, are they going to start Javante Jean Baptiste or Nana Osafamenso? Who knows? And by the end of the year, like, how is this even a question? And then, I mean, his personality is so fun. I think that uh, I, you could blame Priester for almost getting him to opt out of the Sun Bowl when he talked about how bad <laughs> the weather it was here in 2010. Um, just like I, I feel bummed as a reporter that we only got one year with him because um, he seems like just a really breath of like a huge breath of fresh air around kind of just Notre Dame. He's got a unique personality. And man, he was a really, really good player. So uh, props to him for not just playing in the game, but 
the entire season he put in at Notre Dame. And I would Every. just add one quick anecdote on that. He's like a professional video game player. Like he's he streams on Twitch and he has like a world ranking and he's climbed incredibly high. And like this is one thing I talked to people at Ohio State about when when he first got here. They're like he could go pro in football or video games. So that's that's another <laughs> level. That's another level to the Renaissance man that is JJB. Hey, and I, I also appreciate JJB for another thing. I think coaches, fans, and reporters all appreciate when they watch games is he was really good when they played big teams like Ohio State and Clemson yeah. and USC and did Duke and Louisville. And those are those are the fun guys to watch too, not the ones that hey, he had four pressures against Stanford. That's a great way to go out. <laughs> well, he's he he made himself into a viable NFL draft yeah. candidate. And, oh yeah, and that's great. Yeah, I, Pete, I agree with you, man. It was great. At first, I thought he was a little bit standoffish. He was probably a little bit you know, nervous and he didn't know us, but he certainly, he, 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 uh, he evolved with each passing time. That Tim was... telling him about snow for like a five minutes. There was not <laughs> uh, he, the he, press conference. He, he made a comment about going to warm weather. And I'm like, <laughs> well, look, dude, I mean, 13 years ago, it snowed eight inches or whatever it was the night before the game. Remember O'Malley, Samson, and I were together. We came out of a bar and, and, <laughs> oh my God, look at the snow. And that, uh, it, it, it stuck around for the game. Then the day after the game, it was sunny and beautiful again. It, it truly is the Sun Bowl here in El Paso. Coming up, sub, coming up, segment two, burning up the boards. If you're coming to a game this season, you have to check out Game Day Your Way, the official tailgate service provider of Notre Dame. Game Day Your Way offers everything you need, including tailgate gear, catering, and even beverage delivery right to your spot. And their Irish Express transportation from Chicago allows you to tailgate while you travel to their all-inclusive party zone in South Bend. Let Game Day deal with all the hassle so you can focus on the fun. For tailgates, tickets, transportation, and more, visit gamedayyourway.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to segment two, Burning Up the Boards. Our first question is a three-parter from Shibe43. Apparently, Priester is on uh, the same wavelength as Shibe43 because we got a lot from him right here. With two more talented running backs coming on board, do you see either Ford or Payne moving on after the season? He conveniently left out other running backs. Does the importance of getting one or two additional wide receivers increase with Dembrock running more four wide receiver sets than previous offensive coordinators did for the Irish? And do you see most offensive skill players sticking around through the spring to see how they might fit in Dembrock's system? Uh, you know, it, anybody can opt out these days. And so, yeah, I would imagine that, you know, Jabron Payne may look at, because Marcus Freeman wasn't talking about a four-headed monster today. He was talking two. about the two running backs. So Payne was excluded, even though Payne has, has played an integral role in, at least with what Jared Parker did. But yeah, I mean, I, Ford, I don't think so because I think he chose Notre Dame to be at Notre Dame and he's going to be very, he's a great special teams player on multiple levels. And I think he'll stay. Payne, I, I don't think any of us know him really well. Uh, he has been their short yardage guy and they relied on him all season. So there is an opportunity there to be among the top three, certainly going into next year. 
but you know, Nias Williams is coming in. O'Malley's going to put him on the depth chart for sure. So um, anything's possible today w- uh, with regard to transfers. My one I mean, thing for you... Payne is, as long as Dylan McCullough is here, Payne has a role. There, there's something to that. Um, yeah. I would think that these guys would stay through spring just to sort of see what the new guys look like. Because, I mean, look, I get it that uh, Aeneas Williams looked good at Irish Invasion and his highlights are great, but. What are you talking about? Why are we why are we limiting something to Neas Williams right now, Pete? I'm not yeah. sure you've watched enough films. Be- I'm just saying sometimes four star recruits just eh, they're just okay uh, when they get to college. I mean, it's like, do you think Jack Kaiser is going to move on because Jalen Seed's coming in? Like that 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 it's a similar kind of question. Um, we just don't like. So I would wait to let spring practice play out. Um, I don't. The third part. Do you see most offensive skill guys sticking through the spring to see how they fit in Mike Bender, Mike Denbrock's system, which finished number one in points per game, yards per play, uh, and everything else? Yeah, I think everyone fits in that system. Um, so I, I, the four wide receiver sets, if he ran it five times, it would be more than previous Notre Dame OCs, including himself. Because um, when you play four wide receivers, you're taking a tight end off the field. Notre Dame doesn't like to take tight ends off the field because they're great. So I, think I would say a-, a lot more more eleven personnel than twelve personnel. Uh, maybe that balance shifts a little bit, but I don't think we're going to get to a whole lot of ten personnel. Yeah, and, and yeah, I completely agree. And I'll go back to what we said in the first segment. Mike Denbrock's versatile. He had the personnel to run four wides a lot at LSU and in some other places. Um, but again, Marcus Freeman does not want to run a tempo four wide, spread the field, go at mock speed offense. That's not how he has designed this program. That's not his vision carrying this program into the future. And so, again, I think that's where Denbrock, as a veteran OC, um, is really valuable in this situation. I think it's huge, as as I dance around a little bit here, I think it's huge that Marcus Freeman is now surrounded by Al Golden and Mike Denbrock, two really veteran guys that have seen almost everything there is to see in college football as Marcus continues to grow as a head coach, um, as it pertains to the running backs, look look around the country, look everywhere. Um, I mean, Travis Etienne just transferred from Florida to Georgia. I saw so, that. That uh, is nuts. <laughs> yeah. So, so you have to expect that that somebody will depart that room because that's not unique to Notre Dame or anywhere else. That is, it's unique if somebody doesn't leave. What what Notre Dame just did in recruiting is remarkably unique because the Irish essentially didn't have a decommitment from like July or August on through the end of the year. And then one final note that I didn't get to squeeze in on the first segment um, for all the talk about Andy Ludwig, not coming to Notre Dame and then it forcing Jared Parker in let's not ignore the fact that Jared Parker had a hell of a lot better year than Andy Ludwig did. So um, I think that's, I think that's worth mentioning. And I know that Utah didn't have cam rising and kept thinking they were going to get him and never did get him. Uh, But they had guys that they recruited. They didn't play as many hard defenses as what Notre Dame played. Uh, so I would just point that out there that it ended up working out well for everybody. I was going to make a joke about uh, Aeneas Williams coming into the spring. So Pete Sampson reports that all four running backs might be transferring out because of that. But <laughs> to be to be fair, I think of the four running backs returning, the least likely to move on by a wide margin is Jeremiah Love. And then I would not ever be surprised if anybody else moved on. Yeah, I would agree with that. And JB, you, you, burst, you burst the bubble that I created for a lot of uh, Notre Dame fans because I talked about Denbrock's quick game and getting the ball out of the hands of the quarterback into the playmakers and but but he can he can still do that but that doesn't mean he's running at this frenetic tempo right no I agree with that 
I agree with that. Question from Go Fight Win Go Irish. While I'm thrilled he came back, are you at all surprised by the universal praise of the Denbrock hiring? Given, well, I'm sorry, of the Denbrock hiring, given that A, people didn't seem too happy with him as the OC last time around, and B, the quick choice didn't seem to allow for a thorough nationwide search. Yeah, I'm surprised. I was, I was going to duck when I went on the board when that name was coming out, and I was pleasantly surprised. Everybody seems on board. I love Mike Denbrock. I think there are layers uh, at play there. I obviously was not around uh, or living here in South Bend back in uh, 2016 when he was ushered out, um, so I don't have as much perspective on that, but um, I'm a believer that good coaches continue to grow, and we've seen Mike Denbrock continue to grow and evolve. I don't have it right in front of me, but I think in the in the fall of 20 or 21, I did a pretty in-depth feature on Denbrock for football scoop. And I'll try to find it and link it on the board. Um, and some of the stuff he did at Cincinnati uh, was pretty remarkable. And um, then obviously what he did this year um, and tutoring a Heisman trophy winner and, and setting records after they just had Joe Burrow a couple of years ago and all of that. Um, I think that ties into it. And let's not um, from a Notre Dame fan perspective, uh, when, when somebody asks about the praise, Let's not overlook the fact that there are a lot of fans out there gratified simply because Notre Dame went and took Brian Kelly's offensive coordinator away from LSU. So there's a, there's a huge groundswell of feel good for that reason, especially well, that, knowing that Brian Kelly still tried to keep Mike Denbrock and counter offered and he still left. So I would I never think, overlook that element. I think it all added up JB because yeah, taking him from Kelly, Jared Parker was gone uh, you know, number one in total offense and, and scoring offense and yards per play. But I have to admit, when I went to the message board, I thought, oh, boy, here we go. Because the one thing that I never saw mentioned was, oh, you know, another guy that Freeman worked with before. And I, I don't think I, I'm sure somebody said that, but I, I didn't see that comment. I fully expected this to be a uh, uh, to get a negative reaction from from Notre Dame fans. And that didn't happen. And I think it's it's largely because what happened five minutes ago, he had the number one offense in the country. And, and, and I get that. Yeah, it's the, the thorough nationwide search like bag that if you know who your number one candidate is, which Marcus said that he knew immediately. And like, let's be clear, when Jared Parker first interviewed for Troy was not a week ago it was midweek in dallas when he was out on a recruiting trip so it's not when he got the job that was about four or five days later after word had gotten out about it so marcus was prepared for this um it was funny somebody asked him today about like so how does that work how do you how do you reach out to somebody when um you know you don't you know he maybe he just signed a contract and he's like well i i know mike denbrock also, uh, the representation is the same. So I'd say, like, look, this was as seamless as it is ever going to get for Notre Dame. Um, and it's not just Marcus Freeman. It's not just Mike Denbrock. It's not just Jack Swarbrick and Notre Dame paying um, quite a bit. And, like, I, the the fourth year, I think, is the the critical, like, tipping point for Notre Dame there. They were willing to sort of get out uh, in Maybe, I don't want to say overly invest, but like go somewhere that where they had not gone before. But then also the representation being seamless where it's just like you're dealing with one party uh, on an agent level instead of two or three different ones, which I think we saw a year ago. If you're dealing with some agents that uh, maybe don't have their stuff together, uh, things can go sideways in a hurry. And then you just you're left holding the bag. Um, it's a bad look. Notre Dame. Yeah. 
Noreen hit on all levels on this one. Yeah, and, and Clint, Clint Dowdle has Marcus Freeman, and Clint Dowdle has Mike Nimbrock. And so there you go. Clint Dowdle would have known um, precisely that that um, Mike Nimbrock hadn't signed a final final version of his MOU. Because he would have signed it. Yes, <laughs> bingo. And and as it relates to his dismissal from Notre Dame in 2016, that was a 4-8 and eight season. There was a purge. Somebody was going to have to pay. Well, if uh, it wasn't him, it was Brian Kelly. It was all the guys or Brian Kelly. And I, I've oh, talked right, to Denbrock yeah, about that. The guys. Like right, I just exactly. so, so I asked Denbrock about that a couple years ago for a story I was doing on Kelly, and he said like there was a role for me to come back in, but like yeah, he that wasn't the role. That wasn't the role that I wanted to do. Um, yeah. and so I I made the decision to move on. Uh, and he didn't seem to harbor any ill will towards Kelly at the time, which clearly came back around, and you know he went to LSU with him. But um, yeah, it's I think that the other the universal sort of embrace of Denbrock is like, look, Notre Dame loves people that love Notre Dame. Mike Denbrock loves Notre Dame. Therefore people at Notre Dame will love Mike Denbrock. Um, and I think that that's part of it. Marcus Freeman referenced that today too, that, uh, and I've heard this before today that I think Marcus was like, wow, people really like this guy, uh, around here. And that, that counts for something. Well, he's a, he's, he's not low maintenance. He's no maintenance. Yeah. And he, he, he blends with the staff. He, he he communicates and teaches the players. I you know, I mean, hell, I love the guy too. I, we all feel the same way. All of us that have had experiences with him, it's very positive. Tim, you had one more thing to add about that? And, well, I was going to mention. I think it shows growth too. I mean, he he was pissed in 2016 yes, he, when he was right. when the coordinator job was taken from him and play calling was not going to be an option. Like, like right. at the moment, he was pissed. So I think it's he clearly got over it because he went to work with the guy that fired him, and now yeah. back to the school where he got fired from in two different stops but mike denbrock also gave us the greatest quote or be the greatest quote a long time ago the fake confidence quote that was mike denbrock oh that was him when that he is looked a great out there quote. but he looked out there and said there's fake confidence and there's a bunch of guys in the corner and then there's real confidence and he pointed to will fuller ah. <laughs> yeah uh, by the way like the 2015 offense i know people focus on this last offense here 2015 was pretty i like that offense i don't know how you guys felt about it <laughs> yeah, it was it's pretty enjoyable, actually. Yeah. Okay. Now I get Will Fuller. I'll be good. Mm-hmm. You guys Question. know how I feel about Will Fuller. Mm-hmm. Had a microphone. Can ask a question. All right. Maltese Irish. How does CJ Carr's game fit into what Dembrock likes to do offensively? Okay. Well, this, again, this has come up because of some of the things that I wrote about what Denbrock did with his, with Desmond Ritter. And and Jaden Daniels and you know I I mean I don't I mean CJ Carson neither one of those guys in terms of of uh, you know running the football I, I he's not Riley Leonard either but I think he's I think he's certainly and I think JB this is going to fall into what you're saying about uh, Denbrock's versatility I think Carr is certainly a good enough athlete that that can be part of the equation you know we're not you know I mean I'm not talking about to, every running play is a read option but I think there are times where you know, you're on the boundary side of the field, it's first and 10. And all it takes is for the quarterback to take the snap and go to the short side of the field. And it's second and three. He's certainly a good enough athlete to do things like that. Quarterback draws. Hell, I've seen Ben Galbranson, Galbranson run quarterback draws for touchdowns at Oregon State. If he can do that, CJ Carr can do that. Yeah, I think CJ Carr's athleticism, and we'll see it more as spring unfolds, but there probably hasn't been enough discussion of CJ Carr's athleticism, because I do think he's not just a statue uh, with a rocket arm. I think he has all the necessary tools to be developed into a very high end 
quarterback, uh, Riley Leonard's kind of a, a freak. I talked to some coaches who saw him on the recruiting trail and they talked about some of his dunks when he was playing basketball. I don't think we're uh, necessarily going to see that. But again, Mike Denbrock has utilized a uh, a wide spectrum of quarterbacks through the years. And I think that will benefit him immensely and benefit CJ Carr and Riley Leonard immensely moving forward. Next question from Bill V6118. Is Matt Salerno going to play in the Sun Bowl? I feel like he was on the too deep initially, but now I have not seen or heard his name lately. We haven't had many Matt Salerno questions asking for him and whether he'd be on the field. And so I thought I would include this. Yes, he's healthy. Um, Marcus Freeman said today at the press conference that it was Salerno's goal from the very beginning when he was injured in game two, that he would be back and ready to roll uh, in, in the bowl game. I still contend that had he been around, I think Sam Hartman would have connected with him for, I don't know, 10 or 12 catches over the course of a season, but we never had an opportunity to see that. I think, I think Matt Salerno can be a, uh, a, a really nice safety valve for Steve Angeli in this game. Yeah. The three do. Uh, I mean, I think he's the fourth receiver in the game. Um, I don't mean the starting lineup is just whoever starts because of the first play they want to run, but Thomas Greathouse Faison are clearly the top three receivers. And I think Salerno will play more than Colsey, who will play more than KK Smith. And that would be the, the natural breakdown of the wide receivers. I mean, Colsey didn't play a lot anyway before he was hurt. He didn't. He, yeah. had eight, he had eight snaps against Navy. I mean, that was just one of them was really cool. He had a, he had a touchdown run, so people remember it. Question yeah, from Jack Mac 99. What should our expectations be for Steve Angeli in this game? Will they put the ball on the hand in his hands or lean on the run game more? I mean, you would think they would lean on the run game as much as possible uh, and have Steve Angeli then do, you know, work play action off of it. Um, you know, Angeli has shown a a pretty good knack for that in his, his limited work this season. But um, I I think somebody somebody asked me is like, well, what if Steve Angeli looks like Miller Moss against Oregon State? Will that change? The, and I'm like, that's I don't think that Notre Dame in a million years would ask Steve Angeli to do what Lincoln Riley asked Miller Moss to do against Louisville. Because um, I don't think Notre Dame would win if they did that. But uh, I think for Steve Angeli, it's a great opportunity to just run the entire operation when the game is on the line under pressure, under stress. I'm not just talking about pass rush. I'm just talking about like, you may lose the game when you're in. Um, come out the other side of that. And whether that is great tape for Notre Dame in a competition next year, or it's great tape for a different staff at some other school. Um, it's a huge opportunity for Steve Angeli to showcase himself, um, not just to Notre Dame, but to maybe some other programs who may need a quarterback a year or two years from now. This is where I give credit to um, Notre Dame when they did play Angeli over the course of this season. They let him run the offense. They let him throw the football. Yeah. They let him hit Flanagan on a beautiful play for a touchdown. They let him operate the, the entire system, uh, particularly late against Tennessee State, and I think the other one was Pittsburgh. Um, so I, I give Notre Dame tremendous credit for that. Tim, what do you see changing? With Do you see changes with Angeli? I, I think maybe a little bit more, a little bit more read option stuff, yeah. uh, but I mean, but otherwise, you know, I mean, I, I look, your receiver core is as healthy as it's been, get the football right. in the hands and see if, you know, see if it's as good as we thought it had a chance to, to be early in the season before Jaden Thomas suffered injuries and, and uh, you know, Faison had to be developed and, 
and great house. You know, it all started with the Duke game when when uh, Thomas and Great House were out, and then it never seemed to be able to recover until maybe I guess later, a little bit later in the season. But you know, again, Gino Gadulli said, "Oh, this is going to be a different offense." I don't buy that. I there's not enough time to do that. You know, Angeli's not experienced enough to change the offense. I think this is essentially. I'm sure there are some things that Gadulli wants to do and likes to do that that you know that Parker did or didn't do he, he didn't agree with um I mean I'm fairly certain of that so I think we'll we'll see some wrinkles but you don't have enough time to change your offense with an inexperienced quarterback get the ball in the hands of, the, of Jeremiah Love do some different things with Jeremiah Love I certainly agree with that but uh, in the real world of of football it's really difficult to change everything that you, you're doing for bowl game number one and number two with a bunch of opt-outs in a different offensive line. That's just not reality. I have a, this is a good follow-up question from Kay Beasley. Did the opt-outs in transfer portal on both teams cause Notre Dame's game plan to change? For example, does the lack of wide receiver depth lead itself to run heavy attack? Well, that wouldn't change anything, but does Notre Dame blitz a sizable amount defensively given more, given the lack of 2023 playing time for Oregon state's QB? I think I think this presents a great opportunity for for Al Golden to turn some guys loose, and we've seen him uh, over the course of the season continue to um, utilize some different blitzes at, at different moments. And you've got a a veteran core of guys back on the defensive side of the ball for Notre Dame. And as you guys already alluded to, Jack Kaiser said we want to get Jalen Sneed in some one on one matchups. I think Jalen Sneed can be an in- impact player in some of those one on one matchups in this game. I yeah, think that, yeah, they're, they're going to blitz the crap out of Oregon State. Right. I mean, it's I I I don't know how Oregon State scores ten points in this game. I really don't. It, I'm I have a hard time figuring out the short of like special teams turnovers or a pick six. Like, how does Oregon State consistently score in this game? There does anyone know? In last year's bowl game, well, and yeah. no, I, I've got them with thirteen points, Pete, and, and I mean. Me they're down three starting offensive linemen. They're down a great starting offensive lineman comparable to what Notre Dame is. I totally agree. It, it doesn't, I mean, all golden will blitz you if your offensive line's intact. This one isn't yeah. even close to that. So I totally agree. You with might you. not have to blitz them because you can just beat them with rushing four. I don't know. It's you, you would consider that as well. I don't, if I just think that L golden is going to dominate, um, yeah. the Sun Bowl. I have three thoughts on this question and really the whole bowl game, really this whole game. Al Golan's going to dominate the Sun Bowl after he adjusts when he sees what Oregon State is bringing. I do think Oregon State's going to have one of those frustrating drives like almost every team had this year. Central Michigan, Stanford, everybody going down the field one time. Yeah, Wake, come, Wake Forest in particular, the, yeah. right? Like, right. And they come back and they say, I had never seen that one time on tape. Well, I guarantee you, you're not going to have seen what Oregon State runs to begin this game on tape because they have no reason to do what they were doing under DJ and a quarterback that didn't play. The other thing is, if the under of Air, of Oregon State's points of 16 and a half, that's the bet. Because crazy things can happen. And you can score points in weird ways, but I cannot imagine Oregon State putting together two touchdown drives in a field goal. The other thing is, if Notre Dame, I, I wanted to put this in the last question too. If Notre Dame's offense struggles a little bit early, you know how this game should change for Notre Dame strategically? They should punt when they would normally want to go for it in plus territory at the 46 yard line. 
because uh, there think, is no chance Oregon State's going 90 yards against this defense. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Tim. I, 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 I totally agree with that. Um, um, JB, I know John's biting the bullet here for Irish Illustrated today. While we bask in the sun in El Paso, he's going to have to jump off and go do a little bit of basketball and basketball coverage. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that we heard Marcus Freeman uh, even allude uh, somewhat to that very, very element when we last visited with him, maybe on signing day um, over in the stadium when he talked about he's learned and, and grown as a coach that his inclination is he wants to go for it and be aggressive every time, but sometimes it's better to take the points or sometimes in this situation, it is completely better to play the field position game because this Oregon State offense, um, unless there's just a, a tr tremendous bust is not designed whatsoever to march the field with any sort of consistency on Notre Dame's defense. And um, sorry, don't, don't take it personally that I would rather talk to, to Micah Shrewsbury than a few more minutes with you guys for the rest of today. Well, if it's well, anything like the last time we talked to Micah Shrewsbury, you really want to be there. <laughs> Trust me. I'm, I'm hoping for some quotes, baby. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll share your prediction uh, of the game JB when, when, uh, when that time comes. Question, I want to include this question from Tommy Clydesdale uh, and because there is an answer to this. Uh, what is the latest you are hearing about a new Goog or Goog makeover being on the drawing board? Pete, do you have? Um, I, I mean, I, I, I don't have the blueprints of Flannery, but um, I one thing that was interesting in, in sort of reporting on Lauren Landau a little bit was he was hired with the new building in mind. Training, recovery um you know optimizing athlete performance so i th that will be a a big part of it um the f so i i'd like the f i like the landau hire even more after i had heard that um that it wasn't just come in and please do what matt bayless did in, in the room that matt bayless did it it's you're going to have all this new space to work with hopefully new tech to work with new recovery implements to work with um but Unless something's changed, it's going to be on those tennis courts uh, between the practice field and Goog 1.0. Um, but in terms of the timeline of it, I mean, as we have all known for a while, like Notre Dame is a is pretty conservative about shoveling the ground. Um, so I, I wouldn't sit here and predict when that's going to happen. Well, it, it's our understanding of that. You know, it's beyond drawing board uh, mm -hmm. level. The, 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 the funding for it is in and they're going to break ground in the spring as, as soon as the, the, the weather breaks, it's our understanding that that's is going to happen. I think that um, I've had great success parking in those tennis court spots illegally recently, Pete and Tim. Yeah, well, now I'm going to have to find another one to get myself up. a little closer. You're have yeah. to give that up. From Question Siggles. From, go, ahead. Oh, go ahead, Tim. This is a good one. From Siggles, pick a first-time starter who you think will shine. And uh, Siggles says, you can't choose Jordan Faison because MVP is an entirely different category. That's, <laughs> that's, some, that's some, a good part. <laughs> some first time starters who will shine. So who would some of those first time starters are the running at running back Jagasaw uh, Baker actually started two games and lost that job of two years ago. Uh, um, Angeli. Angeli, of course. Sneed is another option. Need is an option. And if you want to go with first time real, real regulars, you could probably throw in. I mean, you could throw in KK Smith's the first time ever player. You could throw in Jaden Mickey will start at corner. We expect yeah, he's, he's 
He's he's been through the he's been through the ringer. He started a few times. Let's say Christian <laughs> Gray if he starts at nickel. Um my guy would be Love and Gray. Those yeah. would be my guys. Yeah. Thanks for stealing that. Oh man, I appreciate it. Yeah, I think appreciate I, it. Love is Love is well positioned with the head coach supporting that that, that supposition that he's well positioned. He he uh yeah, it looks like he's going to get plenty of touches. I would imagine he gets 12 to 15 touches. Oh yeah, yeah you got to something. I mean, yeah. that's, that's gotta be right. I would think that's, I do, I do believe all three guys are gonna get the ball in that seven time range. I mean, seven plus that has never happened before for them. I just feel like they use pain. They're going to use Jabron Payne just because they don't put him out there for an interview. Doesn't mean Dylan McCullough, who's 100% in charge of the running back rotation. Isn't going to put him in. Right. Right. I, I know that. Oregon State, I believe this is the first time. Of course, it's the first time kicker. Everett Hayes, who's replacing Atticus Sappington, who opted out of the bowl. I, it just still astonishes me that a kicker opted out of a bowl game. I, I'm sure there's a plan there. I haven't spent any time to dig it up, but dig up what it is. But uh, Atticus Sappington, from a novel written in 1878. Was, was he recalled to his Shakespearean traveling troupe of actors? <laughs> I <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. I'm not sure, but I know that he will not be in uniform tomorrow. We have a question from Andy. Your Lawyer. sucker suit. You would have showed up to the game. Andy Lawyer, 1990. Who else is Nordan targeting in the portal? I have a name if you guys. Um... Sure. Who is it? Is he a Heisman winner? We always want Heisman winners coming to Notre Dame in the portal these days. Is he a good one? Yeah. No, but it is a guy that's caught 143 passes for more than 2,000 yards and 13 touchdowns at Cal and that's six foot two, 200 pound Jeremiah Hunter this past season. He had 62 catches for 703 yards. That's an 11.2 yard average and seven TDs. I've watched some film of him. I think he's more of a possession receiver, but he's a guy that catches a lot of passes. He's a volume receiver like Chris Mitchell coming in from Florida international. I wouldn't call Bo Collins a volume receiver, but, um, Jeremiah Hunter, I would, and I think that Notre Dame has a good, a good shot at him. Wait, so uh, Cal, you say? Yes. Okay, I'm just saying that's a really good trade by Notre Dame's general manager in the offseason. That's a, that's that is a if that's a straight up trade, Notre Dame will take that trade ten times out of ten times. The reference, of course, being to Tobias Merriweather, who uh, who still has a world of ability and may find his footing at Cal, but was not able to find it at Notre Dame. Yeah, I, that would be, it's amazing how much production it ha- happens elsewhere among wide receivers. Um, Cause it was like Bo Collins, Chris Mitchell. Um, there's Jeremiah Hunter. There's just a, a lot out there that, for whatever reason, Notre Dame just didn't have. Um, there are so other that, teams that didn't have a guy with 29 catches leading the the. Receiver. Yeah, yeah. So to add all of those guys would be awesome um, <laughs> for Notre Dame. But I, I mean, I would say also Hunter almost made a really nice catch at Notre Dame Stadium um, at the very end of the game. If you remember that correctly, oh, oh uh, believe me, that would have <laughs> changed the course of history, perhaps for some people. But. Um, I, I was told that there's a offensive lineman who's not in the portal that they are keeping very close tabs on. And if he goes in, they will make a big push for him. 
I unfortunately do not know who this person is. Otherwise, I would tell you. Um, but that's that was the other sort of portal. Hey, watch this. Um, just keep an eye on this uh, bit that was passed along to me. I and think, then there, go ahead. Zach. I think I know who that is, but I can't think of its name. So that's that's his, that's, <laughs> that's, that's good radio good as, too, right there. That's wow. as good. Yeah, that's as good as being in the position you are and not knowing. Thanks, who that appreciate is. That. <laughs> that. That's really good radio on that one. Uh, other spots. I mean, I still think they need a safety, but if they don't get one, I think they need. Sorry, I think they need a starting safety. If they don't get one, they're going to have eight or nine safeties, so that's plenty. And you know, they like to say, "We love everybody in our room. We'll be just fine." But I would get a starting safety. Um, and after that is when I talked about the spring thing where some people are going to leave when they are third string in Mike Denbrock's offense, no matter how much they like Mike Denbrock when you're third string and you don't get that many snaps until the blue goal game. Cause they don't care if you get hurt. You might transfer. Yeah. We're going to go straight to predictions from there. We're going to skip that last question there. And so uh, I throw it. Well, uh, you have JB's prediction, Tim. I do. Yes. Pete Pitt, Samson gets to go first though. While I pick up, I, you guys don't have the offensive lineman's name and I can't pull up JB's prediction until Pete. Samson ah. goes first. So now <laughs> we're all, now we're, this is preparation and it's finest right now. I, I stand by what I said 10 minutes ago. I don't know how Oregon state scores very much in this game. Um, I think that Notre Dame will figure itself out offensively. And it, look, Oregon state has some material on the defensive line. Um, but I just think that, like Notre Dame was a better football program at full strength, and they're still a much, much better program than Oregon State when you remove their leading tackler, their top two quarterbacks, their top running back, three of their offensive linemen, um, two starters in the secondary, Atticus Sappington. It's just they they lost a lot, and I think that Notre Dame um, may – run away with this in the second half. So in an homage to a different bowl game Notre Dame played in that I famously mispredicted, I'll go Notre Dame 33, Oregon State 9. Hey, Brock Purdy is not walking through that door for uh, <laughs> Oregon State. And if he does, Notre Dame's in a little bit of trouble because they have a new nickel. Um, JB leaned in heavily on the defense as well. I'm reading from his staff predictions. And he went Notre Dame 21, Oregon State 17. Kind of looked at like the consistency of both teams' defenses more than the offenses, with a little bit of a nod to Oregon State's quarterback that has actually started tw- ten games, which which I do think helps a lot. Um, I just think Angeli will handle it fine. Um, I'm a little closer than Pete, but I feel the same way about not many points for Oregon State. I said it earlier in the podcast. At some point, they're just coming out with seven straight things that Al Golden has not seen on tape because they have no reason not to. It's a interim coach for the first time. Going out there with quarterback that's not going to play and everything else coming in, it's going to look a little funky. That doesn't mean they need to score a touchdown on that drive. I have Notre Dame 23-13, and the reason it's not 24-13 is at some point Marcus Freeman will realize the offense has to be careful to not lose the game, and there are three field goals and two touchdowns rather than like four touchdowns for Notre Dame. Uh, This is a rare instance where I reveal my pick on the day of the podcast before the game because we went a day later than uh, normal with our podcast. And and interestingly enough, my prediction is the same as Tim O'Malley's at at uh, 27-13. And that isn't necessarily uh, a touchdown and two field goals. It could be a missed extra point by Everett Hayes filling in for Atticus Sappington. Who knows? I have not seen any film on Everett Hayes the kicker for Oregon state. I can promise you that. I think Jack Freeman did. He told me his staff pick wasn't ready because he was watching copious amounts of film on their special teams this morning. So there is uh <laughs> if he saw it, he could we'll be, we will be waiting for Jack's report uh, on for uh, the, the four horsemen lounge. 
Until tomorrow, uh, join us at irishillustrated.com for all of our pre- and post-game coverage. Of course, we'll have a pre- and post-game incident analysis, O'Malley and myself. And until tomorrow, from Sun Bowl Stadium, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson, this has been Irish Illustrated Insider.